0: We are in the I section, which starts with icon naming utils, and this is a script kept in slash user slash slash lib exec. It is called uh, icon-name-mapping. And it's written in Perl. You can, you can look at it with just less or mo- more or most. Uh, it is a Perl script that, that looks at icons, presumably in a project that you are creating yourself. So you've got a bunch of icons. This looks at your icons, which presumably use the uh, new icon naming scheme defined by the free desktop, the, the Tango project within the free desktop. And then ensures that they they they're backwards compatible with other things that m- might have use for those icons. And and I mean the the the, the script is like uh, maybe I don't I don't think most gives me a count of a line count. Interestingly, okay, well wc-l slash user slash libexec slash icon name mapping. Uh, it is 89 lines of 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 code a lot of which is like comments and and blank lines so it's it's really not a very long script if you've if you don't look at Perl often you might want to look at this one you might not understand it but it's i think it's good to see Perl. Perl gets such a, a weirdly bad rap for being ugly or confusing and then you look at it and you're like oh is this bash it's like super familiar feeling really really nice anyway um that's a Perl script you can you can look at what the icon specification is on uh, from tango.freedesktop.org or specifications.freedesktop.org slash icon dash naming dash spec slash icon dash naming dash spec dash latest dot html version 8.9 as of this recording. Probably isn't going to change a whole lot. I think this was probably created back in like 2007, I think is what it said somewhere. And it basically ensures that icons have a uh, a category. Well, uh, they have different categories. There's uh, actions, animations, applications, categories, devices, emblems, emotes, international MIME types, places, and status. So if you look at the icons that are included in your system, you're going to see a lot of these. And these provide sort of, kind of a standardized, well, group of icons that any free desktop-compliant system assumes is present. So you, you'll see things like um, preferences-desktop-accessibility, preferences-desktop-font, preferences desktop dash keyboard. So all of these are things that you would find in your system settings and your preferences for how your desktop uh, appears and looks and acts. For instance, when choosing your font. Well, if if you're in Gnome, you're looking at the Gnome system settings or whatever they call it, Gnome settings, I think. But But there will be an icon in that control panel because there's an icon called preferences-desktop-font. And on KDE, you're looking at system settings. And again, there's an icon there because there's an icon called preferences-desktop-font, and so on. So if you're creating a theme for a desktop, you would want to account for all of these... Uh, icon types to ensure that certainly at least you know the basics the 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 standard stuff in a desktop have icons have have valid icon files uh, being assigned to them now some applications older than when all of this stuff got standardized might be looking for different names and in that case this icon naming util will be able to um ideally link one of the old names to one of the new names next on the list is icu4c this is a unicode uh, utility script that provides what does it provide something like regex and uh, collation and formatting it's it's a it's a set of c and c plus plus and java libraries that help unicode be processed by c c plus plus and java now you might ask why this is necessary. Well, the world is still transitioning into Unicode. You still see things that haven't transferred to Unicode yet, amazingly. But but generally, we're supposedly all using Unicode now. Everywhere, right? Sure. And then you have to ask, well, what's Unicode? And the Unicode, uh, if you go to unicode.org, this is one of the best little snippets of documentation i've ever seen it's almost poetry i mean really the person who wrote this ought to be proud i mean it's a gift to the world so what is unicode 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 provides a unique number for every character, no matter what the platform, no matter what the program, no matter what the language. Fundamentally, computers just deal with numbers. They store letters and other characters by assigning a number for each one. Before Unicode was invented, there were hundreds of different systems called character encodings for assigning these numbers. These early character encodings were limited and could not contain enough characters to cover all the world's languages. Even for a single language like English, no single encoding was adequate for all the letters, punctuation, and technical symbols in common use. Early character encodings also conflicted with one another. That is, two encodings could use the same number for two different characters or use different numbers For the same character, any given computer, especially servers, would need to support many different encoding. However, when data is passed through different computers or between different encodings that data runs the risk of corruption. So and that's that, that's it that this is clatu again. That was the quote from their from the unicode.org page. I think it's the uh, just such a beautifully clear explanation of what unicode is. I I that's it's brilliant. Um so ICU4C is again for C and C++ and Java they're libraries and they provide things like uh converting text data to and from unicode and nearly any other character set or encoding. ICU's conversion tables are based on character set data collected by IBM over the course of many decades and is the most complete available anywhere. Collation. Compare strings according to the conventions and standards of a particular language, region, or country. ICU's collation is based on the Unicode collation algorithm plus locale-specific comparison rules from the common locale data repository a comprehensive source for this type of data so you're sort of reverse engineering well what language did you just give me what are you trying to what 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 do i how should i interpret this well here are some hints about how to interpret that data i mean you can imagine how that would be useful for an application you, you've probably seen that kind of thing I don't know if they're using ICU for 4c for, for it but you've probably seen that kind of thing in, in like a Google search if you've ever searched for um, something in a different language it, it, Google might know what language that word is or it might try to translate it for you by, by reverse engineering what language it is that's that's kind of what's going on here again I don't know that they're using I don't know that Google is using ICU 4c it would sur It would not surprise me if they were. It would not surprise me if they weren't. Uh, And there's more. There's time calculations and different formatting rules, regular expressions, uh, BIDI or BD, uh, support for handling text containing a mixture of left to right, that is English, or right to left, like Arabic and Hebrew data, um, and so on. So important little libraries for just kind of the basic the, the really the most basic language stuff the, the building blocks of languages the, those letters that we use unicode is the is the way that we is we the, the way that we get them on, on on computers and it's the way that we can support so many different languages id3 lib is the next one in this list and id3 is a metadata format you know how much i love metadata um id3 i would i would have to argue is some of the most well integrated metadata of all the metadata's uh and you know your experience might be different than mine but and i shouldn't even just say id3 i mean id3 is definitely it's it's way up there but in general i would say that a lot of multimedia applications not all of them but a lot of them are really, really good about reading metadata and integrating it into their display. I mean, sometimes arguably too good. That's the double-edged sword, one of the double-edges. There are a couple of double-edges. Uh, but one of the double-edges of, of ID3 or metadata in general, is that sometimes, you know, the data that you don't see becomes the data that you see. And you're thinking, where did this thing come from? I just gave it a file called foo, and it's telling me that the title is bar. Well, that's because the file file the like the inode itself is or the 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 thing at that inode is called foo m p three or or og whatever uh but the the metadata says that the human-readable, like, human-friendly title is bar. So it can be a little bit disorienting, especially if you've just dragged foo.mp3 into your mp3 music player, and it's not in the F section for foo. It's nowhere to be found. It's in the B section for bar. So sometimes it's, yeah, a little bit too good, I guess. But... As long as you kind of know what you're getting into, and you understand that metadata exists, and you have tools that that let you see that metadata, then it it kind of works. It, it's kind of nice. Now, I I have to say, on my personal my previous platform, which was Mac OS, a long, long, long time ago, like a decade over a decade ago, uh, that used to be my like my daily driver, and. I don't remember there ever being any good tools for metadata, even ID3 or or whatever. Uh, And a lot of times you would just drag your song or whatever into, well, if you dragged it into what was popular then, which was like iTunes, forget it. You'll never see that thing again. Just forget about it. Not only did it steal the file away from you and stuff it into a secret hidden iTunes music library that you could never get to, but it would also, or maybe you could get to it, but again, it was just so, like if that metadata didn't match what you had named the file, then it was sorted away somewhere. And and, and sure, if you knew that the file was, um was, uh, Western Pennsylvania, the band Western Pennsylvania, great band, by the way, uh, then you could go in and look, okay, well, it must be in the W section, and here it is, and yep, there, there's Western Pennsylvania, okay, got it, but if it's Various, it's just one of the Various artists on this collection, then forget about it, you'll never find it, is it under the artist name, is it under Various, is it, do you even know the artist name, it's gone, it's gone forever, not really, I'm, I'm using hypo- hyperbole, you could find it, but I'm just saying, it could get very confusing, and I don't remember there ever being sort of like this really easy, obvious way to just look at the file and see what it says about itself. Which, I mean, that's the crippling double edge of, of metadata. When you can't get to it, and you it, it's, not, it's not present enough for you to even think about to even try to get to it. It's horrible. Now, on Linux, all, all I do is I... I Go to a, a folder. I find I gotta. I have to go to a music folder now. Um, I have music. I listen to lots of music. Here's here's my music. So you go to a folder. Here's a folder of perfect. Here are actual some actual MP3s, which I don't actually have that many like actual MP3s. It's mostly AUG. some M4As. You know, just kind of whatever you get, right? Um, so here's an MP3 by seven seconds. Copy it to my little temporary. Uh, folder. I'm gonna rename it real quick to just uh, foo. Why not? So here's a foo.mp3. Don't don't have any idea what it is. It's just called foo.mp3. I just got it some somehow. It, it's appeared on my computer. Well, all I do on Linux is I go to I right click on it. I click Open With, and I can open it with either KID3 uh, dash cute or Easy Tag, and probably other applications that i'm not even thinking of but those are the two that happen to be on my system and it just opens it up not as a music file but as a data file and it shows me here's the file name there's the title of the of the song skin brains and guts artist seven seconds album artist seven seconds album alt.music.hardcore year 1995 track 01 And so on. So there's all the data. There's, well, there's all the metadata. Now I can change it, or I could click a button somewhere that says, uh, update the file name to match the metadata. I don't remember where that button is off the top of my head. I'm not going to sit here and look for it, but, but it's that easy on Linux. It's really, really nice. There are modern, modern tools that make that metadata attainable. And, you know, it's not for lack of technology. I mean, it it wasn't that my former operating system couldn't do that for me. And that's, I guess, what made me so angry about it then, and then ten years later still makes me angry about it, is that it just won't. It just chose not to. It, It made the decision for me as the user that I didn't need to know... That metadata existed. I didn't know, I didn't need to understand where it came from, or where it was stored, or how it was stored. This just, it's a magic system, for good or for bad, and that's all. Like, there was no, there was no opportunity for me to understand further. How that all worked. Now on Linux, again, because the the tendency is towards full disclosure, you don't get that kind of weird decision being made for you. Thank goodness. So um, on Linux, I'm, I've copied it to my my demo directory. So I'm just going to do a um, let's see, what could I do? I could do hex dump, hex dump dash capital C, I think, or dash dash canonical. Is that right? I'm making things up. Uh, and then I'll just do foo.mp3, and then I'm going to pipe that to most, so I, I don't lose it off screen. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So now I've got at the top, I've got a hex dump here, um, and and I've gone over this in previous episodes, but th- the this is these are the data packets essentially within that file. So over on the right hand corner, uh, on the right hand column, there's the sort of the the human readable sometimes translation of those data packets, and it depends on what kind of data it is. I mean, it it still may not be readable by you you know but 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 a lot of them you know i mean it's it's giving you at least some kind of translation but but parts of these packets are readable and specifically the id3 tags are totally readable like there's they're stored in plain text at a certain point within the file because there's the assumption that the music player knows that when it encounters this kind of file, the first X number of bytes will contain the ID3 tag. Or maybe it's, I don't know, maybe there's a delimiter of, hey, this is when the ID3 tag is over. I'm not sure how it works. I, I, I haven't looked at the specification. You could look at the specification of the ID3 uh, format and find out exactly how it delimits or how how it's decided. Okay, ID3 tags are over. I mean, I know that you can put images in ID3 tags, so I'm I'm assuming that it's got to be either a lot of potential space or there's got to be some kind of like flag that says, okay, I'm done now. Now, now the next the next bit that you read is going to be music bit, not ID3 bits. Uh, but you can read like in this in this case, you have ID3 dot 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 DJTIT2. So that's like uh, I think title uh, skins. Brains and guts, and then track T R C K track O one, and then T pub is a uh, headhunter T C O N. I don't know what that is. Uh, hardcore T A L B. That's album alt.music.hardcore mcdi i'm not really sure what that is but you get the idea like those are the id3 tags and again we could look at the id3 specs and find out what those little abbreviations are some of them are kind of obviously are some of them are obvious like the tit2 is definitely the title trck is is obviously the track number and so on but um that's that's the uh, that's the ID3 tags being being read straight from the file. Now you can see similar things. I mean, because ID3 is not the only format for metadata uh, about music. So if I were to, for instance, uh, find probably a lot easier to find a. A collection of, of aug files here. Here's an aug file. Um, and copy that to my little temporary, temporary directory. Then I'm going to rename that again, just, just for simplicity. So that'll be bar og. Uh, and then I'll go to hex dump bar dot Oh, darn it. I forgot to pipe it to most. Piping it to most. And I also forgot to do the canonical, uh, thing okay there we go so we've got og uh vorbis og s vorbis for ziff.org lib vorbis and then finally reducing environment album equals quiet places title equals poly Heidmina featuring isabella guiler artist andreas volenweider album artist andreas volenweider uh, track number two disc number one track total, 10, and so on. So you, you see all of the, the tags here for this aug file, similar to ID3. It's not ID3 tags. ID3 tags are, I think, specific to MP3. I don't think they're used for M4A or anything like that. I think they're specific to MP3. I, I could be mistaken about that, but I think so. But, I mean, other formats, in other words, have other ways of, of denoting their, their metadata, of, of delivering their metadata, and you can see it with hexdump dash dash canonical path to the file that you want to view. You don't have to. I, I'm I'm copying it to my demo directory just just to make sure I'm not doing anything stupid. Um, but you don't really have to. I mean, you can a hexdump is just it's a read operation. You're not changing anything, so it's kind of interesting just to see kind of the, the different parts, the constituent parts of a file. Because a lot of times we I think we do feel kind of like a file is just a file. It's like a piece of paper. But it's really not. It's like a piece of paper with a bunch of sticky notes stuck to it. Like there's, yes, there's the the thing that you have put into the file, but there's sometimes a lot more to it. There are packets of of little information that talks to the computer, tells the computer, hey, you're going to need so-and-so before you open this, or, or... you know this this is how much this is uh compressed so you'll need to uncompress it first or, or whatever you know lots of little bits of data in there or it might just be something like hey yes this is the music file but you know what you're going to want to tell the user is that the title is this and the album is that and the artist is that so really fascinating kind of um process there if you've never really thought about it id3lib uh i guess obviously is the library that provides ID3 both version 1 and version 2. Version 1 is really, really old. Version 2 is just really old. Does anyone even use an MP3 anymore? Well, I guess we do, because we still have MP3s from, like, back in the 90s. Um, I stopped using MP3s more or less around the time that I switched to Linux and discovered that there were other options like AUG uh, and and that they played on on everything without any kind of licensing uh, deal. But I still had MP3s, and, and, you know, some places still sell MP3s, or do they really? Maybe they don't. But the point is, I mean, you, we don't want to lose ID3 uh, capabilities. We need that for backwards compatibility. I'm, I I don't know. Maybe that's the theme of this episode, uh, at least the first half of this episode, backward compatibility. Icon, icon naming schemes and um, Unicode. I mean, that's not really backward compatibility, but it's forward compatibility. And then ID3. We got to got to keep our metadata lively because we do want to see what our songs are named when we play them in our various media players but i think what we what we all really want right now i mean if we're being honest is a cup of coffee i mean i want a cup of coffee i'm sure you must want a cup of coffee by now it's been it's been 20 minutes let's go get some coffee we'll come back we'll talk about image magic <laughs> of coffee i'm back on bomber bomber from flight coffee kind of my go-to apparently i went to flight coffee uh the website to buy a new bag of coffee and i saw that they had a couple of new blends or whatever and i thought okay i'll try a new one that that sounds exciting looked at the price it cost real money like actual money money so i went straight back to bomber which it was about half the price, and bought another bag of Bomber. So, I honestly, I, I'm not sure. I thought I bought Milky, or something like that, as I think is what it was called. They sent me Bomber, so I guess I must have bought Bomber. I don't know. I really, I think what I did was I just went, my eyes just scanned, and found the cheapest thing. That's probably what actually happened, but I mean that's that's fine because this is truly one of my favorite coffees. I mean, it's just it's a it has fast become just kind of my standard fallback, really great cup of coffee. Coffee, it's mild but not too mild. It's got this kind of rich depth to the f- to its flavor. It is a great thing to have as your fallback. Uh, you know, like your fallback coffee like this is a great place to be if the worst you can do is bomber by flight coffee you're doing all right now let's talk about image magic image magic is one of those applications that i use i mean i i don't even know if i I don't even know if daily encapsulates how often i use image magic i mean it's just it just rolls right off my fingertips it is it is exactly what i need when i need it except when it's confusing and Boy, can it be confusing! But let's start simple. I'm gonna I'm gonna launch Spectacle. Actually, you know what? I'm not going to launch Spectacle. I'm going to do this with Image Magic. I was gonna take a screenshot, and then I realized you can do that with Image Magic. If it's if it's imaging, there's not a whole lot you can't do with Image Magic. It really is just kind of astonishing. Um, okay, so in order to take a screenshot with Image Magic, uh, interestingly, it is a it, so okay. hmm... ImageMagick is not just... That's the name of the project. It is not the name of the command. That can be confusing. So ImageMagick contains... I probably won't even be able to remember all of them, but it contains convert, identify, mogrify, import, and I think... Probably several others that I'm forgetting, but I think convert and probably identify are the ones that I use the most. So that's probably what I'll favor in in this discussion. But we'll find we'll see. So import. I mean, we can use that right away because import allows you to take screenshots with image magic. So you can take a screenshot f- out of the box on Slackware uh, just just from the terminal. You don't need Spectacle. You don't need uh, Faye. You don't need anything else. You just import. Import, I'll do screenshot. shot dot, uh, let's do webp, and then press return. Now, it's tricky because now your, your mouse cursor, you might not even notice, your mouse cursor has changed to crosshairs. And what you're meant to do is either just click to take a shot of the whole screen or click and drag across the section of the screen that you want to capture. And you've just taken a screenshot. Do you want to see the screenshot? Wait, don't. Don't go don't go for dolphin, don't go to open the thing. Just type in display. This is another image magic uh, command that, like I say, i had forgotten until I was till my fingers started typing. Display screenshot.webp in my case, and it pops up in a window. You, you can see the the image that you just took. You can close that window and you're back to your terminal. So import and display right there have now shown us how to use Two aspects of image magic. There are a lot of other uh, aspects of image magic, and it's—I mean—it's hard to—it's hard to encapsulate it all. I think what I'll do is go go through some of the basics and then kind of hint at some of the more advanced stuff because I don't—I'm not convinced that there's a—I don't—I don't don't know that there's a super easy way to talk about the more advanced stuff because it really is so specific to what you might be doing. So I, I guess we'll just look at, for instance, convert. C O N V E R T dash dash help. That's a, a really good place to start. Uh and it, it, it tells you some of the um options, some of the options. I mean it's pages and pages, screenfuls and screenfuls of options. I, I don't even know. Yeah, it's just so much. Okay. So anyway, um I mean it's it's like FFmpeg, except for still images or like socks. For, for still images instead of sound files. So the um the the help has given you a lot of a lot of options. And I mean there's so many options here that I don't think it would even be possible to talk about even even a fourth of them. So what I will do is just say the easy, easy way to use convert is to do a to convert, and let's say screenshot webp, and then just type in the name of what you wanted to convert it to. So screenshot. um png. And now if I do an ls, I've got screenshot.webp and screenshot.png in the same directory. So you've just converted the webp to png. And you could do you can do that again. Uh screenshot png to screenshot.jpg. And now if I do a clear in the list. Uh, there's my JPEG, my PNG, and my WebP. So that's the super simple way to use convert. I mean, it's 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 really simple. The syntax, I think, is pretty intuitive. Convert, the thing you want to convert, the new file that you want to have generated. Uh, here's another thing that you can do with convert. It's convert screenshot.webp. Let's stay with that. And then do a dash uh, scale 50%. Screenshot. Dot JPEG. Well, we're saving over the JPEG that I made correct, uh, earlier, and now if I do a display of screenshot dot JPEG, I get the same image th- th- that I had before, except it's 50 percent smaller because I just I, I converted it from WebP and 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 scaled it down 50%. So now it's a smaller version of that. So if you're doing thumbnails for a website or something like that, this is the one that you would want to use for that. And, I mean, in fact, this is the library that a lot of websites use exactly for that. Like when you're adding uh, an image or an avatar of yourself for a website where you have an account... A lot of times where you where you're resizing your your, your your picture that you're uploading if it if it has that ability. A lot of times that's using image Magic library in on the back end. It's a very, very common uh, library. For, for the that kind of use case. Okay, so let's do something a little bit more advanced, maybe. Um, so I've got this image, I guess, and maybe I want to crop it. Uh, this could be something that you might need to do if you've got a website where you, or, or I mean anything, I guess, but I mean, you, you know, you, you need an image to fit into a box, and it doesn't fit. So you want to crop it so that it fits into that space. So you could do this as a convert command or a mogrify mogrify does anything convert does except it changes it changes the data in place which i don't use in real life interactively i use it in scripts that i have tested and that i feel confident yes this is exactly what i want to have happen mogrify i mean if you screw up your image that you've screwed up the image You'll, you'll need to go get a new copy of it to try again because it has saved over itself whereas convert it's always expecting a destination file so I'm going to do this as a convert, but just keep in mind that you can change convert for mogrify for in place um, data. Okay. So actually I probably need No, I have I have my I have my screenshot here. screenshot.webp for instance. So I'm going to do convert screenshot.webp. So that's my input file. Now do the options. And for this I'll do um gravity center and then I'll do dash crop, and then I need to give it a size, which I'll just do. Let's do 512x512. So 512 by 512. Uh, You know what? Let's do uh, 512x256, because I want to really see that it's different. Uh, And then plus zero plus zero. That's like for an offset or something. And then I'm just going to call this, I don't know, test.jpg. Okay. So now if I do a Display of test.jpg. Yes, okay, that has worked. So what that has done, it has, it has cropped down this image, which was originally, how big was this image anyway? That's another image magic uh, command. Identify screenshot.webp tells me that it's uh, 19, no, 1295 by 833. And uh, that's what it is. Okay, so that's, that's the size of this webp image. Uh, I have cropped it down to a 512 by 256 image, where the point of origin where i'm counting out is the center of the 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 current center of that image is the is the new center of my new image so you could crop from another location i usually generally find it best and easiest to just crop from the center because usually photographs or even drawings they favor the center because that's where the human eye falls So the most important information, visually, is in the center of the image. If you crop an inch off the edges, you might lose, I don't know, something. But you're not losing, like, the main part of the photo, probably. It depends on what you're doing. You know, like, if it is a screenshot and and the button that you're telling your user to click is in the bottom right corner, then cropping from the center is probably not going to work for you. And in that case, you might instead want to do a crop with, with the center assigned to south. Uh, What did I say? Bottom? Did I say bottom right? So that would be southeast. So, so literally, just convert screenshot.webp- gravity and notice i am using single dashes for whatever region, reason image magic uses single dashes not not double dashes so dash gravity southeast that's the word southeast s o u t h e a s t all one string southeast dash crop and then whatever numbers i want I'm going to try really quick. I'm going to see if I can do it without the offset plus zero plus zero. I, I'm not sure that I can. I can. Cool. Okay. So convert uh, convert screenshot.webp gravity southeast crop 512 by 256 test.jpg. Now if I display test.jpg, I hope I'll get the yep i guess that's the bottom right my my terminal was in the bottom right so i just see a black screen but i'm pretty darn sure that's correct i guess i could you know what i'll do one more real quick test here i'm gonna do northwest and display that because that would have been yeah that's the um that's the upper uh, obviously the north you know the the upper left corner of my screen, which is quite identifiable. It has the KDE application menu there. I mean, on my screen, because I put my panel up at the top. You can also blur images, for instance. You could do a uh, convert screenshot.webp d- d- space dash Gaussian dash blur space. Uh, something really noticeable, like 18 by 18. And then screenshot.jpeg. Uh, you know, I just realize it is... it is incrementing... it's not writing over my files. I don't know why not. That's interesting. I've never noticed that before. I'll have to look into that sometime, I guess. Uh, Okay, so I'll... I guess I'll just call this uh, myblur.jpg, just to keep it distinct, and then display myblur, and then prepare your eyes for the... For the blur, because that's always so disorienting. Ugh, looks horrible. Uh, yep, there's a blurry screenshot, alright. You can rotate, flip, flop, Turn turn it black and white. Uh, create animated gifs. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do with Image Magic. The 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 sky is truly the limit. It it really is. I mean, it just does everything. If you go to ImageMagic.org, and that is Image Magic with a K at the end, so M A G I C K Magic ImageMagic.org. Uh, there's there's a I, I don't even know what to call them. I mean, they're they're called examples. Um, and it is kind of just a a a complete lit like just all of the things that you can do with image magic in in such completion that it's it's almost overwhelming in itself which seems like a weird problem to have but there is just so much you can do and if you don't know exactly what you want to do this can be overwhelming because it's just a bunch of of options now there is an interesting way around sort of navigating the options of him. So there, I, I think there are two ways. Well, maybe three, three. Three ways. You could read all the documentation and just learn the tool inside and out. Like, I I've... I have never done that. I don't know I don't know who has. Maybe some people have. I'm not sure. I have a feeling most people probably learn this, and this is completely just a feeling, but I, i'm I'm thinking probably most people learn image magic by using it a lot in their programs. That's kind of what I feel. I could be wrong about that, but that's kind of my feeling. Um, so you could do that. You could just you could just work with it a lot. Another way, I think, would be to browse the examples on imagemagic.org and just kind of get a feel for what it can do and then narrow down what you need to do to the picture that you have that you want to change Or you could do the reverse of that, which is have a picture that you want to change. Come up with a list of all the things that you need to do to get to the place where you want to be. Like, yeah, I like this picture, but I want to crop it here and there with the gravity point being, you know, just left of center. And then I want to um, flip it and turn it black and white. And then rotate a little bit so it looks like an old photograph, and give it a border. All of that stuff you can do with Image Magic. You just have to um, do those things and, and figure out which which of those things have to be done. You know, sort of step by step, and and what might require a temporary file so that you can have kind of like, okay, here's here's that image, and now I'll take that image and convert that, or you know, like. It's it's all possible, you just have to kind of think it out. And then you could go to the example page on imagemagic.org and look up each of those different sort of functions, as it were, and figure out how to do it from there. It takes a while, obviously. I mean, it's it's a learning process, but that is a a way to do it. And that's kind of how I've done it. I've kind of been in a situation where I have... I mean, usually it's not just one photo, right? If it's one if it's one image, then the easy way to do this is to go to GIMP, do the adjustments, export it as the format that you need, and you're done. Maybe it takes you 10 minutes, maybe it takes you an hour, depending on, you know, what kind of complexity it is, but, but you've only done it once because it's one image and that's all you needed it for. But if you've got like 100 images, or you anticipate having lots of images that are going to need the same process done to them, then it does pay off probably to learn the image magic way and part of the image magic way is the scriptability of it now you can script it with bash and you can also script it with lots of other things because it's been ported it's got libraries and you know you can you can use lots of different things to interface with image magic and one of the interesting ways that i have found to kind of get from here to there is to go to um fmwconcepts.com that's FMW Foxtrot Mike Whiskey dot com slash Image Magic. And this is a, a site by, I guess, FMW. It's some of his concepts, probably. Uh, it's Fred. It's Fred's Image Magic scripts. And there is a whole array of them along the top of this page, just a, a big old table of them. And you can roll your mouse over to see up at the top what each one of them does. Like here's a uh, uh let's what's what's a good one um i don't know auto color automatically color balance an image seems possibly good camera deblur it, it deblurs you know it tries to sharpen an image uh coloration makes the color channels uh turn an image into a grayscale image and then tints it so you could get like a sepia tone so there are a bunch of scripts here and, and some of them do i mean some of them are quite complex with lots of different options so there's a little bit of a learning curve to them but they are they're 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 f- they're zero dollars to download. They're not actually licensed. Uh I don't think they're licensed at all. He says that they are available, quote, free of charge for non-commercial, non-profit use only. So I don't know how if Fred um checks up, checks in on you to make sure that you're not selling anything that you've like affected with his scripts or how he how he controls that but that's that's his desire that you do not use these scripts for commercial use and again i I don't know what that means but that is his desire so there you go um and there's a lot of them here like there's color boosts and and d eye and uh unrotate scale scroll redist poster edges, postage stamp, just all kinds of kind of like weird but, but useful or sometimes just weird and sometimes just useful little scripts that go through image magic and and, and make it relatively usable. I mean, that's not to say that image magic isn't u- usable. I'm just saying like he makes it really easy because there there are scripts that already do exactly a thing. Now, whether any of those things are exactly what you're looking for, obviously, depends and and that's the that's kind of the tough part is like is your end goal exactly what he provides here but if if it is or if you look through and and you see something that you like then that's an easy quick way to get a result without having to scrub through all of the different functions of image magic and and apply those to your image and try to make them fit into your end goal it, it, it's one it's one way it's it's a way to get to a, a place quickly. Potentially, if if the place that it gets to and the place where you want, are going happen to be the same place, and there are some really fancy effects on there, there are some really nice things. And sometimes, if you, I mean, if you're just looking to make a photograph look a little bit cooler, you know, a little bit less digital, you want to add some film grain, maybe try the film grain filter. You know, just kind of try it out, see what happens. So that's a great little resource to know about. I don't I don't feel like it's widely widely known. Uh, like I, I forget how I stumbled upon it, but it it's it's a really great little site. F M wconcepts.com check that out and image magic in general i mean it's an amazing application it really is i i use it all the time it's it's really really good for those repetitious image processing things which itself can be tricky because they you know a lot of times you think oh i have images i need to do exactly the same thing to a hundred of them and then you realize well i didn't need to do exactly the same thing Turns out that the, all of these, the even sides, uh, want to be gravity uh, east, and the the odd sides want to be gravity. Uh, west or or the other way around. I don't remember how pages go. But you know, if you'd scanned like something and you needed to crop, there there are often surprise differences between images that you don't really realize until you put it through a mass processor. But in general, if there are really things that you need to do to a bunch of images, image magic is amazing. Or if there's just something that you want to do to one or two images once a week or twice a week, but you don't want to have to open up a whole graphic editing application image magic makes it really really fast and again there are little commands too like import identify um display those those do like one little thing for you and, and it's just so fast and so easy that maybe you don't need to get Spectacle open to take your screenshot. Maybe you don't have to press a key. You just do import, screenshot. Well, that's a lot of keys to press. But anyway, you know, you can, if you're in the terminal anyway, then you're typing an import command to take a screenshot really quick. Really, really simple. That is, I think, everything for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next time.